Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. This podcast is brought to you by Native Grape Odyssey. Native Grape Odyssey is an educational project financed by the European Union to promote European wine in Canada, Japan, and Russia. Enjoy. It's from Europe. Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast with me, Monty Water. My guest today is Ginevra Venerosi Pesciolini. Yes. From the Tenuta di Gizzano, which is in the province of... Pisa. In Tuscany. In Tuscany. Welcome. Thank you, Monty. Give us a little bit about the history of this day, because it's very ancient, isn't it? You have some very old buildings and towers and things True. On your, on your we, property. Yeah, we arrived there in the late 14th century, and at first was only, you know, to defend ourselves from the enemies. From the, from the Spanish invaders yeah. across, <laughs> across, the, across the Tyrrhenian Sea. Uh, from other Tuscan cities, and well, yeah. we built a tower, and then in the following century we built a house attached to the tower, and then we started our agriculture activity. Uh, it's a very large estate, isn't it, Gitana? How, yeah. how big is it? Still is 300 hectares. How much of that is vineyard? Only 20 hectares. And the rest is what? Cereal uh, crops and olive oil? Olive grows 20 hectares and then cereals crop for 100 hectares in the flat part of the estate and then still a lot of woods. So biodiversity is there. Now, now you, you started working organically in about 2003. Yeah. And then you became certified organic. Yeah. And now you're one of these weirdy, beardy, crazy azies who are biodynamic. Yes. So tell us a little bit about why you decided to go organic first of all. When I arrived there, I had to learn everything because my education was completely another one. Uh, I was graduated in following languages and literatures, so I really had to learn what agriculture was from the field. And so uh, I inherited a way of doing which was very conventional because, you know, in the 70s, everything changed in Tuscany and we had to use tractors and the vines were replanted following the dimension of the tractors. And we had to produce a lot, otherwise we couldn't sell enough, but the quality was down. So when my father decided to invest in the vineyard, in the cellar, to try to make a better wine was the 1985. But still, he was really behaving in a conventional way, uh, treating not only the vines, uh, but all the soil of the estate. Because the concept was eliminate everything was not wasn't good friendly. for the crop, yeah. yeah, for the crop. And and uh, when I observed my land year after year, I understood that I had to spray something new every year to fight against another insect or another herb uh, or you know uh, the grass or whatever. So I was feeling bad and um, spending lots of money. Yeah, spending lots of money and not obtaining the, really the good result. And I wanted to start to do something healthier for my soil. So I I started traveling around 
uh, Europe visiting other vineyards and I understood that I could be successful in having some good crops, not using so many chemicals. So that was the first thing and nobody wants to follow me because you know, it was a risk. It was seen uh, so, as risky, yeah. Yeah, I started from the vineyards. And then I demonstrated to my father and the other people who were working there that we could obtain some good crop, maybe better, not using a lot of things, spending less money in the paradox. And uh, from that way, he let me do, you know, the real change uh, to behave in the same way in the whole estate, not only in the vines. So not only, I mean, you were convinced, but and you sensed the farming that you were doing was not the right one. But probably the key battle, as you're outlining, is, is, is that interfamily battle, isn't it? It's convincing another human being that, listen, we yeah. really cannot, cannot continue farming the way we are because we're going to go bankrupt. We're spending lots of money on stuff that really doesn't work, and we can see that it doesn't work. Yeah, and that was a real fight. Did you doubt yourself in any way at any stage? You must have thought, mm, maybe he's right. Maybe we just stick with what we've got and just keep our fingers crossed. Maybe it'll start working, this conventional stuff, these herbicides. Maybe they're not so bad. Did you have that doubt in your um, mind? Actually, I no, I didn't <laughs> from the very beginning. But it's true that I started in 2003, which was a very dry and hot, as you remember, maybe season. And that was easier, especially against the fungus. So 2004 was again a good, so, you know, with two good crops, I could go ahead. It's true that certain vintages, I lost some crops. 2008, 2014, uh, in the recent... But in comparison to what is the result of the quality of the crop that you have, you have no doubt that there are seasons that uh, you cannot completely be clean of all uh, risks but you have more true and and good and more but you have more balanced grapes do you they're easier to ferment they are easier to ferment a better kind of relationship between ph the acid strength of the wine and total acidity levels Uh, and sugar levels and and what about extractability like getting those flavors for example out of the red wines that you make the red the red wines are they easier to extract you find that yeah, and with a shorter time, staying on the skins. So it's also another thing. I mean, uh, you have good fermentation, but then you can extract everything if you want in a shorter time and not risk to have over-extracted wines and too heavy and not drinkable enough uh, as I would like to drink my wines in the different level of structure, always eating food. Did your neighbours come to ask you? I mean, they would have obviously seen the changes in your estate it's not like it's a tiny estate were they sceptical were they negative or did they call you up and say hey listen can I come and have a look they are very sceptical they still are still yeah but they are changing a lot but it's also true that I'm quite in the small place where I am but I'm surrounded by myself most of the oh so you don't have you surrounded by forest and you're a little bit isolated yeah yeah then now from other hills (laughs) next Next hills, I I have people visiting 
and and trying to understand and still very skepticism you know I'm even after all these years and what about your importers and your distributors in various countries were they very happy with what you're doing or were they we don't really care we're, we just care about the price we don't care if you're organic or biodynamic How did that um, work? things are changing obviously in these last 10 years and have changed a lot so people are more prepared but at the beginning and still some Russian for example they really did not know what biodynamic was and and Japanese too so but they're very curious and they're very open now and uh, as soon as the wine is good wine so and that's also my philosophy I mean it's true that we risk also in our way of making of having certain lots which are not perfect and I decided not to bottle them so not to in order to demonstrate that you can make good wines out of uh, a biodynamic practice and a way of behaving also in the cellar. And it may happen that certain fermentation or are not perfect. And I prefer not to bottle now. So not, you know, not to, to promote the fact that biodynamic wines can smell bad or it's true that you should leave them a little bit longer time in the glass and in the bottle. Yeah, they take a little bit longer to, to come yeah. around, don't they? But that's probably probably to do with deeper rooting and uh, having uh, the, the physiological changes that the vines, the plants undergo in terms of in terms of plant expression. They're a little bit smaller, the leaves yeah. are a little bit smaller, a little bit tougher, the grapes are a little bit smaller. Um, the tannins are probably a little bit more robust. Yeah, and then when the vine is is getting older, you know, the the truth is yeah. coming out. And it will live longer as well, then, ideally. So let's just go through some of the wines that you made. What are your what are the names of your red wines? Um, Il Gizzano is my bistro and pizza wine. So how do you say that again? Il Gizzano. Uh, okay, the, the Gizzano, okay. Yeah. <laughs> the Gizzano. So that's your everyday sort of wine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no wood aging, so only stainless steel and cement tanks for one year and then bottled and should be, you know, a very fresh, fruity and easy drinking, but where... That's the, the, ca- that's the cash flow wine, we call that the cash flow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Get it in <laughs> the winery. It's the cash flow. Get it out of the door <laughs> and pay some of those bills. Okay, so, and the next one? Is Venerosa. So right. it's my, let's say, historical wine. First vintage was 1985, uh, and now my current vintage is, is 2015, so I'm celebrating the 30th harvest. So that's a Sangiovese. Sangio- Sangiovese, 70%, and 30% is still Cabernet Sauvignon. Sangiovese here is coming from my oldest vines, whereas for Il Gizzano, which is 95% Sangiovese, um, my grapes are coming from 7 to 15 years old vines. Okay. So ne- next, next is Nambro. Nambro is my uh, Tuscan Pomerol because okay. okay, so that's spelled N-A-M-B-R-O-T. Nambrot. Nambrot. Nam- Nambro. Nambro. Because either Veneroso and Nambro are two family names, first names. Like my name is Ginevra. So just to give reason to to a long tradition of a family in that area. And Nambro is Merlot, Cabernet Franc and Petit Verdot. So trying to demonstrate that if certain grapes, they find their place, they ripen well, they express more of the territory than the varietal characteristics. So now, now this guy Nambro, I've got a note here, lived during Charles the Great era. Yeah. So that's what, a thousand years ago? 
would be tenuta di Gizzano. And blend? Sangiovese, 100%. Okay. From the very old vines. Okay, and what type of soil are they on, these old Sangiovese um, vines? They are um, limestone and a lot of fossils because the whole area was covered by the sea in the Pliocene era. So a lot of calcare. So a lot of minerality to the, our Sangiovese. How old are those vines? These are 35 years old. And is it all the grape variety, sorry, is all? Uh, it's a mix of uh, all variety that I found and I reproduced and then a clone that I, I, I stole from Montalcino. <laughs> okay. Well, that you didn't hear that, guys. That uh, doesn't mean that she literally stole it. That she walked in with her Batman cape on in the middle of the night and started taking cuttings. Uh, but it's um, uh, yeah. Let's let's leave that one there. Okay. Now, do you make a, a Vinsanto? I make a Pasito. It was a Vinsanto. I wanted to be more free in having a wine that I like best than the Vinsanto. So same way, similar way of um, making because is Malvasia, Trebbiano and Colombana grapes hanged, the bunches are hanged in a room naturally aired and they stay there for three months and then... So they shrivel a little bit, sugar, yeah. sugars concentrate, they're it's pressed some, and fermented. Yeah, 110 residual sugar and uh, they ferment then in uh, um, old barrels for one year only and then six months in the stainless steel and then bottled now and selling the 2016 and the name is San Germano. San Germano because it was the patron saint of Gizzano. Really? And so before it was Vincento, I left the name. What do you drink Vincento with? With cantuccini, usually. Which are crunchy biscuits? Crunchy biscuits. And you can dip them in the Vincento if you want to. Yes. A little bit nutty, the biscuits, aren't they? The cantuccini. Yeah, 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 with nuts. And then um, crostata. How so that's crostata? a jam tart. And then um, mid-season cheese. I mean, not not, not very very so old. Medium-aged cheese, not medium really aged. not really spicy one. So yeah. you're talking like sheep's cheese, like pecorino. Pecorino cheese. Yeah. Not fresh, but not aged. Yeah. So not too kind of cheesy, stinky. Yeah. Just come out of the animal, kind of cheesy, cheesy, stinky, because it's had a bit of age, cheesy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Do you think that would make a good sommelier describing the food like that? <laughs> yes. Yeah. You I, I are. Need, yeah. Okay. Alrighty. So I think we've kind of um, I think we've covered all the bases, haven't we? Um, There's a bianco too. Oh, let's do that then. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, the bianco, bianco is il gizzano bianco secco. 
Vermentino Trebbiano and Malvasia Bianca. So that's traditional local varieties? Yes. Only still is steel, but three days on the skins and then three months on the leaf. So you bring, you bring a little bit of a natural easter there as well as an organic and biodynamic easter? Yeah, a little bit. But you're not, not going... Extreme. Yeah. I'm not extreme. I'm not going to the orange wine, but uh, I like to extract more character from the grapes, Bianco. and But it's an easy drink in Bianco. It's a Ligizano Bianco. So you so could drink that on its own, but it is, I imagine, it does have the texture for food as well. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah? So what do you drink that with? That is with uh, all, you know, aperitivi in Tuscany with the croissant. Um, so that will be toasted bread with so. um, like liver patty on the top. Yeah, yeah. mainly. But then any pasta with uh, vegetables or a pomodoro or first courses. So you, are you more of a vegetarian than a carnivore then? Me, me, yes. Yeah. Or <laughs> game, ve- or game. Are you total uh, vegetarian? No. So um, what for you? is the most important thing about biodynamics, it's the most important idea or thing that you do and what do you think is the effect that it has on the wine can you taste an effect or see an effect in the vineyards using that technique yeah the most important thing is that it helped me to see my land to look to observe and so to behave knowing what you are doing the effect you're having yeah understand the reaction so uh, as soon as I understood that my vines were um, reacting positively to to what I was doing the soil mainly because obviously that is a number one mission in my biodynamic behaving is trying to rebuild and build a healthy soil uh, for the roots of my vines in the wines um, it's uh, having a brighter fruit, a light, which is... So more intense, but not heavier. Yeah, more persistent, more precise, but not heavy. Even though the alcohol is 13.5, you don't perceive it when you drink it. But And then it's the good accompaniment with food, so... It's more savoury. Yeah. yeah. How far are you from Pisa then, Pisa City? Pisa City is 40, 45 kilometres. Okay, so, so it's a south. Short, yeah, so if you're in Pisa, it's a, that's a short drive. It's a quite a nice drive down the coast, isn't it? Yeah, The roads it is. are a bit bumpy, but it's a nice little drive. Yeah, it is. And uh, so if you are in the Pisa area, this really is a great estate to visit. It's really beautiful. It's kind of, you do feel like you're going back into the Middle Ages a bit, but it's, <laughs> and I mean that in a really good way, a really complimentary way. You know, I've been to your Thank estate. You. I loved your estate. Um, Thank you. Bit. You have to come back. Yeah, and... Uh, when it was organic so I'd love to see what it's like uh, when it's um, when it's by now just one other thing about Pisa I often get the train to Pisa and I often I'm often helping confused tourists who are trying to work out how Italian train tickets work because so, you can get on a train with a ticket but if you haven't punched your ticket in before you get on the train you get a fine yes you get a multa so <laughs> I'm forever explaining like where are you from I'm from Canada so I said right this is what you need to do da, da. And, um, and so when we get all the train ticket things sorted out and the train chokes off and everyone's really happy that they're not going to get a fine and thrown in jail I say where are you guys going and they said oh we're going to go to Pisa oh that's okay so yeah, actually the city itself yeah 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 what are you going to go and see well you know we're going to go and see the Leaning the Leaning of Tower of Pisa and I would say I don't, didn't you hear what happened and they, they look at me like no you fell <laughs> they fixed it 
Anyway, I'm really sorry about that. I just had to go. I just, that's it's a, true, but it's true. They yeah. did fix it. They did fix it. <laughs> They've straightened it. That is my very infantile and extraordinary expensive education. As you can see, it was totally useless. It had no effect on me at all in terms of my mental or my emotional development. Anyway, I want to say thanks to my guest today, to Ginevra Venerosi Pasciolini from the Tenute di Gizzano Winery in Peccioli in the province of Pisa on the Tuscan coast. It's a beautiful, beautiful estate. It's now biodynamic. Not that that really should count for anything. It's If you go there, you should go there because it's a beautiful estate and it's making wonderful wines. Thanks very much Thank for coming Thank you, Monty. Thank Thanks you. Well. Can I become your PR agent, do you reckon? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I am would I, love to. Am I the right demographic for that? You know, <laughs> sort of slightly greying, middle-aged... <laughs> You know, rather sort of a cynical Brit. You know, is that, is that maybe, maybe I need to be a little bit more joyful or... Yeah, I need it. Yes, yeah. you need to probably smart my dress coat up a little. You're just impeccably dressed. I look like a tramp. You know, I, no, I look like I slept I outside the teens. studio on the street, you know, for the whole night. Uh, anyway, all right, I want to say thanks very much, Geneva. You're, you're a superstar. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Ciao, ciao. This podcast has been brought to you by Native Grape Odyssey, discovering the true essence of high-quality wine from Europe. Find out more on nativegrapeodyssey.eu. Enjoy. It's from Europe. Follow Italian Wine Podcast on Facebook and Instagram.